1: Time Every year, I sit up here and watch everybody go by. It's a nice and scary time, isn't it? All those wonderful costumes and masks and makeup. I think about how much fun Halloween is. I also worry a little bit about the things that can spoil the fun of Halloween. Those kinds of things scare me too, but in a different way. Now, if you thought that was creepy, imagine if it was coming from the mouth. Of a (laughs) jack-o'-lantern. Hello and welcome to Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean.
0: And I'm the very titular Carrie.
1: And we're here to take you on a journey through the ooky, spooky, bizarre, unbelievable, and unexplained, and, well, hopefully try to find an answer.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: (laughs) And I guess we have to say Happy Halloween, everybody.
0: Happy Halloween.
1: We're coming out of a very strange... um, trick-or-treating list halloween
0: yeah this was a weird year for everything but uh halloween is a very social holiday so it it felt very strange to just be home all day
1: yeah although it's not like um sort of paranoia and safety concerns around trick-or-treating are new um, which is sort of what we're going to get into today isn't it carrie
0: a little bit yeah So, Sean, I want to start off with a fact today that may surprise our listeners. Shoot. Did you know that there's never been a murder or serious injury on Halloween committed by a stranger poisoning, putting razor blades in, or otherwise tampering with children's Halloween candy? Uh,
1: I actually did know that, yeah. Um, It's a fact that I love uh, pedantically saying. Well, actually... (laughs)
0: Well, thank you for for doing that to my introduction. But yes, it's true. And to me, it's honestly uh, kind of shocking. Because as we both know, people can really suck. <laughs> and uh, people's capacity for evil is pretty well documented, I would say. Yeah. Uh, the fact that it's never happened is honestly kind of a miracle and pretty wondrous, to be honest.
1: Yeah, the, the idea that something so... Um... Just fun and childlike could be not spoiled by someone like that?
0: Yeah, kind of. And also, I mean, you're putting a lot of trust into strangers, I guess, when you um, trick-or-treat or or let your child trick-or-treat or or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy that no one's really taken advantage of that in a big way. Yeah. Yeah. In the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, Jan Harold Brunwand wrote that folklorists, scholars, and law enforcement experts say the story of strangers poisoning Halloween candy and distributing these tainted sweets to trick-or-treaters has been thoroughly debunked. So we could chalk one up for the good of humanity. There, I guess
1: mm-hmm. one at least. It's good. That's a good score for 2020. <laughs>
0: But you'll probably notice that I repeatedly said stranger here very purposefully, because much like with most murders, unfortunately, the perpetrator is usually someone who knows their victim, and a Halloween candy poisoning has happened, but closer to home.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say the uh, perpetrator is usually someone who sat on their hand until it has fallen asleep, uh, and then it's like someone else is doing the murder.
0: Ugh. Anyway, so we're both feeling a little strange today, I guess you could say, because we're recording this episode on November 1st. Uh, It's been a hell of a dreary day, hasn't it? It's been really gray and rainy. Yep.
1: Yep. Pretty gross. Yeah. Dog didn't want to go outside till he did.
0: And now he just wants to keep going outside and bothering (laughs) us. (laughs) Uh, I personally hate this day of the year, as you know. It's the end of the Halloween season for most people, uh, unlike me, who um, lives it year-round. It's just kind of depressing. But this particular story kept on coming to my mind as I considered the aftermath of Halloween, especially in such a weird year with a focus on how trick-or-treating is going to work and things like that. Um, this story felt pretty suiting for a day like today. So this subject of the story has been alternately called the real candyman, or chillingly, the man who killed Halloween.
1: Did this man appear behind you like in a mirror when you said his name three times?
0: <laughs> he is not Tony Todd's bee spewing boogeyman, as the movie Candyman is. But he is someone much more real. And um, if he does appear behind you in a mirror in this context, he's just being creepy. Okay. (laughs) So let's begin this sad, sordid tale of Tainted Treats
1: sometimes i feel i've got some tainted treats i've got some tainted treats from the guy on down my dead end street we can cut that at some point i
0: kind of want to add that to my halloween playlist now so okay so October 31st, 1974. Taking it back to the 70s, okay? Timothy O'Brien was eight years old and excited about that night's trick-or-treating. I mean, honestly, who wouldn't be at eight? That's like the most magical feeling, isn't it?
1: 100%. What was Timothy dressed as? I need to know.
0: I knew you would ask me this, genuinely, because I couldn't find it in a lot of places, but I did end up finding it. He was a... Well, are they gorillas? I don't know. Uh, an ape from Planet of the Apes. Oh. With full mask and everything. Okay. Yeah. I found it.
1: I, damn it. I think they're more like chimpanzees.
0: <laughs> he was an ape. All right. An aforementioned ape from Planet of the Apes. Because I was also wondering okay, he's in a Planet of the Apes costume. Is he Charlton Heston?
1: Mm-hmm. No. No, he was one of the titular damn dirty apes.
0: Yes, exactly. So dressed in that costume. And if you kind of remember that feeling of being eight years old and enveloped in the magic of Halloween, Mm -hmm. running around in the dark with your friends, getting candy wherever you go, I mean, I feel like very few highs match that kind of moment in time. So he's feeling awesome in his Planet of the Apes costume. He's with his five-year-old sister, Elizabeth, his dad, who is 30-year-old Ronald Clark O'Brien, and his neighbor, Jim Bates, along with Jim's son, who is uh, the kid's age. So the two adults watched over the kids as they ran from house to house in their suburban Texas neighborhood. And if you remember from your trick-or-cheating days, Sean houses with their lights off were the buzzkills, right? They either weren't home, weren't able to come to the door, or like didn't give a shit about the joy of young children, <laughs> Uh, so when Timothy and Co. pulled up to a house with their lights off, there was some expectation that the homeowner wouldn't answer, because that was kind of the code, right? Yeah,
1: um, to be fair, it was even worse if they had their light on, and then they gave you, um, you know, an apple in a plastic bag.
0: You know, I don't think I ever got apples.
1: Oh, I had some of those.
0: I think, I mean, uh, the paranoia that we discussed earlier, and we'll talk about more later, I think that kind of precluded apples by the time I was in peak trick-or-treating years because of the fear of razor blades or anything like that. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Back when I was trick-or-treating back in the 80s, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for one year. (laughs) Uh, So they went up to this house. The lights are already off. The kids were swept up in the Halloween magic, and they knocked on the door anyway, just in case. No answer. So being kids, they're like, forget it. We're going to the next house. You know, there's more free candy to be had. Hell yeah. Not going to waste our time here. So they ran ahead with uh, the neighbor Jim following. Ronald O'Brien, who's again, Timothy's dad, caught up to the group a few minutes later with some great news. The homeowner uh, of the lightless house had apparently been operating pretty slowly and answered the door after the kids ran off.
1: Very slowly. (laughs) Or these kids were really in a rush. Well, he hadn't even gotten to the door.
0: (laughs) No. Um, He gave Ronald a handful of 21 inch pixie sticks to give to these impatient trick or treaters to bring back to them. Timothy, Elizabeth, and their neighbor friend each took one of the pixie sticks, as well as Jim, who took one for his other child at home, and another pixie stick was given on their way home to a 10-year-old boy that Ronald recognized from their church. So there's five in total.
1: These were just loose pixie sticks?
0: Well, pixie sticks are generally pretty loose. They're just sticks. These are the long boys, though. These are like almost two feet long. Those are big ones. Oh, the plastic guys. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I think Ronald said something like, "Oh, you know, th- these guys must be rich. They're giving out these huge Pixie Sticks."
1: That was a that was a real treat.
0: For yeah, a kid. so five of them. Um, so they they head home. They have their big haul with them, and at home, each O'Brien child was allowed one treat from their entire. You know, pull before bed. And Timothy, who is naturally attracted by the king size quality of the pixie stick, he's going for quantity here.
1: Oh, that's how you beat the system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, mom, you're going to allow treat. me one treat. Yeah, I'm
0: going to make it count.
1: It's going to be two pounds of sugar out of this giant plastic tube.
0: So he chose that as his uh, pick. And mm-hmm. of course, they were like, okay, that's your one. Um, so he was having a little trouble getting the sour sugar out of the stick. So Ronald kind of rolled it around his hands and helped him dislodge it. Timothy was kind of disappointed though, because it tasted kind of bitter and was sort of a letdown for what he expected. So he swigged some Kool-Aid to like wash away the gross taste and he went to bed.
1: Did he finish the pixie stick?
0: I don't know if he had time because he was dead less than an hour later. Oh boy. Yeah. Sorry. I know that child death is the most awful thing in the world, and it really is a tragic case with real pain attached to it. Um, For all the fun of ooky, spooky, murdery legends, it's kind of heartbreaking to see them actually happen in the real world. And yeah, Timothy passed away that night. (sighs) Sucks.
1: What flavor was the pixie stick?
0: (laughs) I couldn't find that out. I'm sorry. Uh, It... I mean, I I can tell you what the actual flavor would turn out to be, uh, but I don't know what flavor he thought it was going to be. Okay. So, very soon after consuming the Pixie Stick in Kool-Aid, Timothy started to complain about stomach pain and then began to vomit and convulse. He went limp in Ronald's arms, and by the time he got to the hospital, he was already gone. Oh, my God. It's just fucking terrible. Just a a kid so excited and horrible.
1: All right. Just one treat before bed.
0: Yeah. So the family was shaken, horrified, overwhelmed by grief. Uh, Former Harris County prosecutor Mike Hinton was pulled into the investigation of Timothy's death almost immediately. There is an excellent Vice article about the case by Michael Sigalov and Hinton said in the article that he called the chief medical examiner who asked what the boy's breath smelled like. So, Sean, this isn't some sort of weird fetish, if you were <laughs> dead boy breath. Um Don't tell me slow. <laughs> the suspicion did bear fruit, because the morgue, who... I'm trying to imagine the person that had to, like, kind of answer the phone, you want me to do what? And then <laughs> go over and, and breathe in this dead boy smell. But, um... They did that, and they reported that the smell of almonds was coming from Timothy's mouth, which pointed pretty surely to one thing, cyanide.
1: Ooh. Ah. That, that's a pretty bad pixie stick flavor for sure. Yeah,
0: so cyanide-flavored pixie stick. The autopsy and later tests confirmed this, with two inches at the top of each pixie stick containing just cyanide. Oh. Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two adults. And the other ones uh, that the other children had had enough to kill three or four adults in them.
1: Wow. And he was like, yeah, he was less than an adult.
0: Yes, for sure. (laughs) Um, There's a great interview on the case with Mike Hinton. And that's the film in the film Killer Legends. So you could check that out on Amazon Prime. It has like a little bit about this case.
1: Mike Hinton was...
0: The prosecutor Uh, that was in this case. So you might be wondering, okay, how did they get these pixie sticks to test? Because didn't the other children try to eat theirs? It was pretty much a miracle that none of the other kids had gotten to eat their pixie sticks by the time they figured out that they were poisoned.
1: Well, this is where that one treat uh, before bed rule comes in handy.
0: But like you said, I mean... Uh, A one out of five of kids going for the giant straw full of sugar. Uh, That's pretty remarkable because I know I would have probably picked that.
1: The PVC pipe full of fun dip. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: But several of the kids came really close to having it, like miraculously close. One of the children was literally found in bed holding one of the pixie sticks He wanted to eat it, but he wasn't strong enough to open it, because unlike a typical pixie stick, which are made for grubby little hands fishing for sugar, uh, the poison ones had been stapled tightly shut. Oops. Mm -hmm. Another kid was cutting open one of the sticks when his father told him it was time for bed, so he couldn't finish it, like he couldn't get to it.
1: You know, if you're going to try to poison children, you shouldn't make the poison child proof. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but I don't think whoever did this, and we'll get into that, was kind of thinking super master criminal E. There was yet another of the kids. So this is the fourth kid who tried to eat this pixie of, stick. Of five? Yes.
1: Pretty good success, right? Okay.
0: So This is Mark Bates, the son of the neighbor he got his snatched away before he could eat it because he'd been swinging it around and spilled some (laughs) of the powder and his mom was pissed off and was like give me that and he snatches it out of his yeah typical mom stuff even the ambulance driver that answered ronald's 911 called almost succumbed to the poison because he'd been close to giving timothy mouth to mouth and was later told that if he had Timothy's mouth by itself had enough cyanide in it to have killed anyone giving CPR just by contact.
1: Wow. I thought you were going to say he just couldn't resist the pixie stick. He's just <laughs> driving the ambulance, looking at it so good. It's in the passenger seat for some reason. <laughs> oh, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't.
0: No, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Like after throwing up and all this stuff, Timothy still has so much cyanide in him, unfortunately. So as soon as the word spread, which, as we know, in suburbs it always does, and very quickly, the community freaked the hell out. Most parents in the O'Brien's hometown of Deer Park, Texas, brought their children's Halloween candy in, fearing they could be containing poison treats, which all the kids, you know, understandably were like, what the hell? I worked so hard for this stuff. Most of the kids in that town did not enjoy their Halloween candy that year take our lives don't take the candy (laughs) which is understandable um no other trick-or-treat halls however contained poison candy or anything that had been tampered with poison was only found in the five original pixie sticks and they were all cyanide so between this fact and the autopsy results police turned their attention to one man ronald clark o'brien timothy's grieving father
1: but he's grieving
0: he's grieving i mean by all counts he was a complete wreck after the death the day after timothy passed ronald sang a solo at his church services part of the hymn blessed assurance or blessed assurance parishioners wept as he changed the chorus from this is my story this is my song to this is tim's story this is tim's song this is the morning after it happened rough the police however were suspicious they found it odd that only these five tainted pixie sticks were found if the mysterious homeowner had been there giving out candy all night why if you're trying to do something nefarious would you give out only five Mm -hmm. and hope for the best and give out five in one go The most suspicious part, of course, was that Ronald O'Brien was the only person to receive the sticks and see the homeowner himself. So the police naturally asked Ronald, hey, where was this house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was stumped. Just couldn't remember where it was. And it seems also Jim Bates and the other kids couldn't either. Of course, I still don't have a sense of direction. So as a child, I definitely would have not been able to answer that question.
1: Oh, Ronald.
0: (laughs) Well, Ronald pinned it to either Citation or Donorail Drive in the Bowling Green subdivision, but he just couldn't narrow it down from there.
1: He couldn't narrow it down to a single street? (laughs)
0: Listen, Sean, he got two streets, okay?
1: I know, but the the giant pixie sticks would have been a memorable event for a Halloween trick-or-treating night. I think as a
0: parent, I probably would remember like, oh, it was the house with the big bay window or something like that.
1: How do you not remember
0: the house that killed your kid? I guess it's just not that memorable to Ronald. I don't know. The police asked after that, well, what did the homeowner look like then? Maybe we can narrow it down from there.
1: Officer, if I may, (laughs) this is Tim's story. This is Tim's song. This
0: is Tim's song. Ronald answered that he'd never seen the face of the person. There was just a, quote, hairy arm that emerged from the dark doorway and deposited the sticks in his hand.
1: Okay. I buy this maybe in the coronavirus times.
0: (laughs) Take your sticks and leave. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just go. Just go. I don't have my mask. Just get out of here.
0: Listen, if there was a nefarious murderer, you know, yeah, I guess you wouldn't want people to see your face. But again, you live at the house. Anyway, the police pressed O'Brien even harder. And apparently that just jogged his memory right on. Oh. Yeah. It's so, so pretty he, remarkable when you get police pressure that it uh, makes you remember things. So he
1: does remember the guy's name now.
0: After a few days, he was able to point out a house at 4112 Donorail. So, case closed. Officers went to the homeowner's place of work, a nearby airport, and arrested him in front of all his colleagues. Bing, uh, bang, boom.
1: How hairy were the arms?
0: You know, I couldn't find how hairy the arms were, but I don't think they were remarkably hairy.
1: I mean, because that would make it an open and shut case. It's like, <laughs> look, there, there's the arms as they were described. We have a police sketch that could perfectly match this man's arms.
0: Can you imagine being a sketch artist? Me, like having to draw an arm. Like you it's know, a very nervous looking arm.
1: There's more hair on the uh, on the on the wrist. Yeah, on the inner side of the wrist.
0: Ew, just an, a hairy inner wrist.
1: He said it was very. It was notably hairy. That's this true. arm that emerged.
0: Well, it doesn't matter because the homeowner turned out to be working that night and apparently had two hundred plus people able to vouch for his alibi because he's working at an airport where a lot of people are.
1: Yeah, at least 200. Yeah.
0: His wife and daughter were home that evening, but it turned off the lights pretty early because they ran out of candy. So they weren't jerks. Considering neither of their arms were particularly hairy, uh, police were looking way sideways at Ronald's explanation, and he really wasn't helping. Apparently trying to jumpstart a gospel career... <laughs> Ronald had written a song about Jesus and Timothy joining Jesus in heaven. No. A performance of which was broadcast on television the evening of Timothy's funeral. So, funeral, you're coming back to the house, he's with family, broadcast. Oh, Timothy, <laughs> Timothy. Yeah. And Ronald got considerably pissy with his grieving family when they didn't want to stay up late to watch the performance on TV.
1: Why didn't your <laughs> brother's and sisters eat the poison too?
0: <laughs> yeah, so just a really weird thing to be concerned with the night of your kid's funeral. Kind of messed up priorities. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of priorities... Shortly after Ronald accused an innocent man, detectives discovered that Ronald had taken out life insurance policies on both of his children that very year. That's not, come on, people don't take out, people don't Unhealthy take out life insurance. children. There was an initial $10,000 per child in January, so it's nine months, ten months before, with a further 20000 each month up through Halloween. The last payment, I think, was early October on each and his wife didn't know about this and apparently broke down sobbing when she found out
1: oh that doesn't look good either for for
0: the wife not to know yeah No, Yeah. no, no no
1: no for for whoever else is in the room when she finds out about the life insurance policies and she just starts weeping
0: yeah yeah
1: looks real bad for our uh our daddy here yeah
0: Ronald owed upwards of $100,000 in debts, which is more than half a million dollars today, and called insurance or er, called insurers at 9 a.m. on November 1st, which is mere hours after Timothy's death, to inquire about the payout on his kid's oh, life. Oh, no.
1: So yikes. You got to admire the guy's subtlety. Subtlety? It's a sarcasm. That's a sarcasm. <laughs>
0: That's a sarcasm.
1: That's a sarcasm. Um, What did he owe all this money for?
0: There is... It seemed like a bunch of different situations. I think the house was nearing foreclosure. The uh, car was going to be repossessed. I think he just... I mean, also, again, he's spending this money on life insurance, too, on top of that. so.
1: Well, yeah, okay. But presumably, the whole life insurance scam of murdering your children is... To pay off the debts you already have.
0: Presumably. Yeah. So he just seemed really bad with money.
1: <clears throat> and with, hear me out, murders.
0: Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Allegedly. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll hear all about how innocent this dad is.
0: Super, super innocent.
1: real candy man he was seeming less like a supernatural um v- ghost of slave vengeance and <laughs> and more like uh wasn't that the candy man's thing
0: i think so i think it was something like that i don't remember where the bees came from but his mouth and chest well yes <laughs> a lot just uh, a lot of bees
1: um but but this guy's more like a um an inept insurance scammer and yeah, child murderer
0: piece of shit. So, yeah. Now the police were armed with a warrant uh, because he slipped up enough times to give them that opportunity.
1: Oh, this wasn't looking airtight anymore. What do you mean? His his alibi of the uh, the hairy arm that came out of the house <laughs> that time.
0: <laughs> no, I think the guy with the alibi of two hundred people probably beat that out of mm-hmm. a mysterious hairy arm. So. They went to the police went to the O'Brien house to search and they found a pair of scissors in the house with plastic residue on it. That was similar to what was found on the cyanide pixie sticks. So I assume what they were thinking is that that's what cut the top open to pour out some of the sugar. <clears throat> now, this was enough to arrest O'Brien. Just pretty the, light, but <laughs> these
1: the scissors definitely cut some plastic.
0: Similar plastic. Yeah, I mean, this was before DNA times and everything, so it's a lot more circumstantial, but it's pretty, pretty good circumstantial evidence.
1: Yeah, the circumstantial evidence here seems pretty, pretty strong. Uh, He was literally the only other one that we know had access to the pixie sticks.
0: Yes, uh, unless you're looking at Jim Bates, who was the neighbor, but I don't think they really seriously looked at him at all. So more and more kept on piling up even after he was arrested. Ronald was apparently close to being fired from his optician job for suspected stealing and just in general had trouble keeping a job in addition to having so many debts. A worker at a chemical supply company in Houston told police a man came in to buy cyanide, but left once he was told that he could only buy five pounds or more. So he didn't want to walk out with like a giant bag of cyanide, I guess.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: The worker couldn't remember much on what the guy looked like, but he did say he remembered he wore a smock like a doctor's or like an optician, which O'Brien was.
1: Oh, yeah. I I was thinking it was just to make it look more legitimate. Like, oh, I have a a definitely a legitimate use for this five pound bag of cyanide.
0: No, this is just a stupid ass decision that helped place who he was. Fester as if we'd run out. (laughs) So O'Brien was apparently also taking community college classes in which he'd reportedly ask subtle questions like, what is more lethal cyanide or another type of poison?
1: Uh, Excuse me, Professor. If I were to murder uh, an eight to ten year old child, or let's just say five of them, what would be the best poison? What would be the best poison to use in that situation?
0: Uh, Sir, this is economics 101.
1: Uh, professor what would be the cheapest poison
0: (laughs) but less than five pounds of it
1: what would be the most cost-effective poison
0: what disturbs me the most about that is that if he had wanted to get five pounds of it he might have been able to pull that off
1: yeah it sounds like but it it, it would have (laughs) been pretty easy to arrest him although it was pretty easy to arrest him it sounds like
0: yeah so there wasn't anything truly conclusive cementing O'Brien as the murderer, but he entered a plea of not guilty, and the trial went forward.
1: Please tell me this is one of those guys who chose to represent himself.
0: <laughs> no, there's really not a ton of drama at the trial. Uh, Ronald Clark O'Brien insisted that a mysterious boogeyman with a hairy arm, apparently, bequeathed him the tainted candy. <laughs> uh, literally, Everyone in Ronald's life testified against him, which included friends stating that Ronald had bragged that he was going to come into enough money by the year's end to buy a new house. Oh, boy. And the jury only took 45 minutes to come back with a verdict of guilty, and then the death penalty.
1: Ouch. Did his wife testify?
0: I think she did. Um, He was single now because his wife promptly filed for divorce. Yeah. So... Ladies, he's ready for action. (laughs) So the Candyman would die of the unspeakable crime of murdering his own son for greed. And the Candyman is what the press and inmates called him incessantly. And that name stuck.
1: Was he executed?
0: Well, we're going to start with his time in prison, Sean. Okay. He didn't have a great time in prison.
1: You don't say...
0: Yeah, child killers are apparently generally shunned and hated by other inmates. In prison, I mean, he was just treated terribly, which, you know what, he deserved it. And there was even talk of some sort of protest um, about him by other inmates just because they hated being around him so much.
1: It, where were they supposed to put him?
0: Don't know. Because his attorney got him a stay of execution twice and and ended up with the incredibly poetic third execution date of October 31st, 1982.
1: He was executed on Halloween?
0: Well, before O'Brien could pay the price on the anniversary of his crime, the Supreme Court gave him one more chance to pursue an appeal. So the last execution date was scheduled, March 31st, 1984. And he got no more stays and had no more excuses. So Ronald Clark O'Brien was killed by lethal injection just after midnight that day, surprisingly being the first person in Texas to be put to death since 1964. That was 20 years.
1: I thought Texas loved executing people.
0: I think there was um, a break in the death penalty in Texas before that time. And this was also one of the first lethal injection deaths because the Supreme Court had uh, ruled that the electric chair was unconstitutional it was cruel and unusual punishment so he got the injection you
1: know what else is cruel and unusual is feeding uh, cyanide <laughs> to a child
0: yeah so tit for tat
1: um so he got executed anyway it's really a bummer that they gave him that last appeal sort of because
0: uh last couple of appeals
1: well sure but uh, yeah, really executing him on halloween would have been um the the move
0: yeah During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison. Some were cheering, some were protesting the death penalty, and some were yelling trick-or-treat and pelting the protesters with candy. (laughs) So everyone had a fun time that night. Uh,
1: That is a fun time.
0: To me, it seems pretty clear that this story contributed to the urban legend that is being spun into fact more and more of the boogeyman poisoner of Halloween candy our parents always warned us about. And they still do to kids these days, which, you know, kids should be careful, but it's not necessarily rooted in fact.
1: Right. And like you said, it's um, literally never happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, you teach your kids to be careful, but I don't know if we should teach them to be afraid. The 1982 Tylenol murders, which is a whole nother episode, but it was basically another case of cyanide poisoning and subsequent hysteria, also contributed to the fear, and x-raying of candy took a sharp rise in the 80s after the deaths. No actual deaths, though, have ever resulted from a stranger poisoning Halloween candy. A cranky housewife named Helen... Feel, was arrested in Long Island in 1964 for handing out things like dog treats and clearly marked ant poison tabs to kids she felt were too old to be (laughs) trick-or-treating. She sounds like the fucking worst.
1: No, I think she's fun.
0: She's handing out ant poisoning to kids that are too old. My thing is, as long as you have a costume and you look like you're having fun, you get candy. Period. You done.
1: Yeah. Hang it up, 16-year-olds.
0: I am so turned off right now.
1: (laughs) I trick-or-treated at 16.
0: I trick-or-treated once in college, and it was so fun. We all had costumes. We all had a great time. Just go to a party. We did that, too. And we had free candy. It was great. (laughs) So. There have been other stories of children dying after consuming their Halloween candy, but all of these have been traced back to other reasons aside from poison, like medical issues that were both known and undiagnosed. A boy died in 1970 with heroin-sprinkled candy suspected to be the culprit. Oh. But it turned out the child tragically got into his uncle's heroin stash, and the family attempted to cover up the manslaughter by dosing the candy after the fact.
1: Oh, man.
0: Yeah, it's rough. But conclusively, no child has ever been found to have been killed by eating tainted Halloween candy from a stranger. But sometimes uh, the worst monsters are the ones right at home with faces you know, the ones that tuck you into bed at night.
1: Or that jackal lantern who read us the safety warning at the beginning.
0: Yeah, he was weird too. So that's the story of the so-called man who killed Halloween. But Sean, as we well know, even on this very dreary November 1st, in a very dreary year, Halloween can't die as long as you keep it in your heart.
1: That's right. We had a little uh, horror movie marathon with some friends on Zoom last night.
0: And it was great fun.
1: Yeah yeah confirmed (laughs) um yeah hellraiser um i i had never seen hellraiser before uh last night what were the oscars really fell asleep at the switch that year what was that
0: 1980 the oscars yeah for what maybe makeup effects all of it all of it yeah What Oscars do you think it should have won?
1: Best supporting actor for the thumb guy with the butthole eyes. Not
0: the thumb. No. Absolutely. Supporting actor. He could barely support his own chin.
1: I've never seen better lascivious lip licking in my entire life. Best supporting actor. That's
0: because you're old man. (laughs) Ugh. Yeah, your reaction to that movie was strange. I mean, it was interesting, but you were into it.
1: Yeah, don't say it like that. <laughs> well, you were. I don't want to be. I don't want to be sexually torn apart by uh, sadomasochist da- dominatrix demons.
0: demons. No. No. Okay. Well, that's one thing we can agree on.
1: That guy was having a great time, though, at the end, right before his head exploded.
0: I couldn't tell. He has
1: this big smile on his face. Jesus wept.
0: Ugh. What a grimy movie. Everything's just covered in moisture and stickiness. Oh,
1: my God. This is, I, You know what? I this want, is the
0: stickiest movie I've ever seen.
1: I need to go watch Hellraiser again. Uh, no. Y- yeah, no. We got to go watch Hellraiser again. We'll be back with a segment.
0: On this latest installment of Lizard People Big World... <gasps> I'm going to kind of do a mini deep dive into a truly bizarre conspiracy that maybe came to a close this month.
1: Ooh, 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 I love this segment.
0: There have apparently been pervasive rumors on the more qanon sides of the internet that on October 17th, 2020, our wedding day, Sean, JFK Jr. at a Dallas political rally would be both announced as still alive And as Donald Trump's new re-election running mate, replacing incumbent VP Mike Pence. Sorry, what? You see, Sean. QAnon has been strangely obsessed with John F. Kennedy Jr. for actual years now.
1: John F. Kennedy Jr., who died in a plane crash in the 90s, uh, shortly after he, I think, had sex with Elaine on Seinfeld.
0: (laughs) Uh, he did pass away in a plane crash in the 90s, yes. I don't know why they're so obsessed with him, because their leanings tend to be far right, even radical. And JFK Jr. was a well-known staunch Democrat, like his father, John F. Kennedy, big Democrat.
1: And the, his, his uncles, I believe. Super
0: liberal, yeah. He even gave the keynote address at the 1998 Democratic Convention shortly before his death in 1999, so he was pretty in the game.
1: Yeah, but back then, Donald Trump was a Democrat, too.
0: Yeah, well, you know, potato-potato. According to many anoners, JFK Jr. faked his death, which why? Who knows? And has been hiding out for two decades in Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, yeah, apparently JFK Jr. has been planning to emerge to support Trump, and many followers even believe a Pittsburgh man by the name of Vincent Fusca is really Kennedy in disguise. Why
1: wouldn't he at least go back to the family compound? Well, exactly.
0: Fusca has even leaned into this weird QAnon internet celebrity, uh, despite looking nothing like any member of the Kennedy family. Uh, (laughs) And he posts or had posted, um, I think his Twitter is deleted now, cryptically on social media as if he was hinting that the rumors were true. Oh. Again, I can't stress enough, he doesn't look anything like JFK Jr., who was a very handsome man, even 20 years on, doesn't look like him.
1: This is like a Rackstraw, our D.B. Cooper suspect, who would just go like, I don't know, am I?
0: <laughs> it's Yeah, it's very much like that. Um, so JFK Jr. was supposed to make his big return last 4th of July in 2019, but that clearly didn't pan out. So like the best apocalypse predictions or most of the things on my to-do list, it was postponed <laughs> to a few weeks before the election. I mean, never mind the fact that he would be coming back from the supposed dead. I don't know if he could even legally replace Mike Pence so close to the big day, like barring death or some sort of really extraordinary circumstances.
1: They wouldn't be able to get him on the ballot. No.
0: So for those who want knowledge of the absolutely insufferable and damaging in their head, Q is a figure that is apparently the head of QAnon and is an anonymous Internet poster high in the ranks of government with a bunch of classified information that's being spilled to the public little by little on uh, really shitty forum sites. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: like, for instance, Pizzagate was a big QAnon thing. There's been a theory that JFK Jr. is alive and running Q since June 2018. Like, he's Q.
1: JFK Jr. is Q?
0: Yeah, JFK Q Jr., yes. Another anonymous poster, R... Showed up in the QAnon forums and started dropping hints that JFK Jr. had faked his death to, according to Rolling Stone magazine, avoid being targeted by members of the deep, Sp- deep state conspiracy, and he was actually Q.
1: Now, Carrie, I don't follow these conspiracy forums too closely.
0: Neither do I, Sean.
1: Um, these guys also provide James Bond with all of his gadgets?
0: <laughs> yes, JFK Jr., back from the dead also in the James Bond movies. Wow. Liz Crokin, a right-wing conspiracy theorist, later in 2018 referred to JFK Jr.'s role as Q during an actual interview with vlogger Jenny Moonstone, citing Q's posts about former President John F. Kennedy as evidence that JFK Jr. was running the account because it was written very lovingly and passionately.
1: Oh, so Q doesn't say he's JFK.
0: No, but I think it's a very Vincent Fusca situation, like... May I be? I could. <laughs> More Rackstraw. Yeah. Crokin said, quote, if JFK Jr. faked his death and was alive, it would make sense that he was Q. So, I mean, sure, if he faked his death and was alive.
1: It makes sense that he's Q. Getting past that,
0: yeah, yeah, sure. it's It makes sense.
1: <laughs> you know, this so far, this makes
0: sense. Now, there are a couple pictures of Kennedy and Trump together, which is pretty understandable. They both ran in similar bougie crowds in late 90s New York City. You know, Knicks games, and uh, there's also a completely fabricated quote supporting Trump by JFK Jr. that Q followers have posted and reposted on social media, and he never said anything like it, so. Why was October 17th the new big reveal? I have no idea. I really don't know. There was no planned or actual rally in Dallas that day. And if so, wow, how fucked up would it be for Trump to ask Kennedy to reemerge in the city where his father was assassinated? <laughs> I mean, yeesh. I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Read the room, Dom. <laughs>
0: yes, he's very good at that oh the day came and went the trump campaign was far away in wisconsin we got married Mm -hmm. jfk jr was sadly still dead and the world kept on spinning along with QAnoners trying to spin this new disappointment into a new conspiracy
1: i like to think he would have at least come and said hi to us if he was back uh it was our big day and we, we were right over there by the hamptons you know i
0: think it was a butterfly effect situation where it's like we got married so that didn't happen oh okay
1: at any rate, if he was you... more of a Martha's Martha's Vineyard guy too. I think.
0: Yeah, that's where he passed, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why I said that.
0: No. Any rate, if you go to a Trump rally and see a bunch of people wearing giant JFK Jr. wearing a MAGA hat poster heads, which is a thing at Trump rallies currently, <laughs> and you wonder what the hell does this mean, now you know. After that, you will probably have to sit back and assess why you're at the rally in the first place. But at least you'll know about the JFK Jr. thing, and that's that.
1: That's that. Uh, you're hearing this if you're listening to this right when it comes out. Um, it's election day, and the polls are probably already closed. So um, I hope I hope you got involved.
0: I hope <laughs> but you it's voted. It's probably if too you, late s- if you hear this earlier. I hope you vote, and um, good luck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I guess that's all there is to say on that. (laughs)
0: Yeesh. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amy. And hi, Hi, true true crime crime fans. fans. We're the co-hosts of She Goes by Jane. Every week, we'll be covering the story of a missing or unidentified woman in the United States. Stories you may have heard before. And ones whose stories didn't make it into the news. We've been covering these stories for a while. First in Amy's book of poetry, Doe. And then in Vanessa's documentary, She but now we want to share them with you here on she goes by jane and each week we'll be joined by a special guest who will read a poem in honor of the women we talk about can we say who we can say who we'll be joined by actresses like coco jones and gabrielle ruiz and musicians like stephanie Quayle and kelly moneymaker along with authors like louise penny and Catherine mckenzie so check out she goes by jane wherever you get your podcasts or check out evergreen podcasts and their true crime channel killer podcasts we can't wait to bring you these stories that's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes because we'll be forever grateful.
1: That's right. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan.
0: See you next Tuesday. This has been a production of Longboy Media.